Uh, well, friends, I, I don't know whether you noticed, but uh, this coronavirus pandemic has seen people doing some strange things lately. Uh, just this week, there were two violinists in America uh, recording themselves playing a song from the movie Titanic uh, in front of an empty toilet paper aisle in a local supermarket. I think the picture is going to come up, um, which uh, shows that happening. Um, the song they were playing was reportedly the same hymn that the orchestra on board the Titanic was reported, uh, 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 was reported to have played as the ship sank in the icy waters of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, now, the reference to the Titanic is quite apt at this time, don't you think? Uh, I mean, the Titanic uh, went from being what was thought to be an unsinkable ship one minute to the people on board facing the fear of sinking to the bottom of the ocean the next. Uh, in a similar way, we have gone from feeling secure in our world to a great time of insecurity almost overnight due to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, many of us are anxious about our health or the health of loved ones. Uh, others of us have lost jobs and the security of a regular income. Uh, still, others of us have had to change our plans for the future because, well, we don't really know what the future holds. Uh, our world is not secure and has never been secure. Uh, how secure are you feeling at the present moment? Uh, well, this morning we are looking at a wonderful part of the Bible that speaks of a real security that transcends the things of this world. And it is a security that is a present reality for all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's actually a, uh, a high point or crescendo uh, in this astonishing letter in the Bible called the Letter to the Romans. And uh, my prayer this morning is that as we listen to what God has to say here, uh, our hearts might be lifted up and we might live with great confidence in the knowledge that we are secure in God's love, no matter what we might be feeling or no matter what circumstances we might find ourselves in this morning. Uh, now, friends, you might know that the passage we are looking at this morning is actually the conclusion to a, a big section in the letter to the Romans where the Apostle Paul has been laying out all the benefits that belong to the believer as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we are celebrating this morning. And so when Paul says in verse 31, uh, what shall we say to these things? Uh, the these things there refers to everything he has been referring to in the previous chapters, which can really be boiled down to the phrase, God is for us. In other words, friends, uh, if you are somewhat somebody who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God says, I'm not against you. I am for you. I am on your side. But notice that in this passage, Paul asks a number of questions that kind of cascade uh, through this passage like a waterfall, one after the other. Uh, he doesn't give an explicit answer to most of these questions, but they all have the obvious and implied answer of no one or nothing. 
And so uh, the first question that you see there in verse 31 is the question, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? Um, and so the obvious answer uh, or the implied answer to that question is no one or, or nothing. Um, if God is for us, uh, who can be against us? Well, no one, nothing. But how do we know that God is for us? Uh, well, Paul goes on to tell us in verse 32, where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying that we can know that God is on our side because God has given us what is most precious to him. He has not held back from us. He has given us his very own son who died for us on the cross. And if God has given to us what is most precious to him, then surely he will give us everything, not only now in the things that we need as believers, but especially in glory, uh, which is where we are headed as believers. Now, you see, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser, isn't it? Uh, it's a bit like a man who gives the most extravagant ring to the one he wants to marry. Uh, you know from the size and price and extravagant uh, of this rock that the wedding itself is just a formality. Uh, in the same way, you know that God is for us because he has given us what is most precious to him in his son. And everything else that God has promised to us, including the glory of our heavenly inheritance, is just a formality. But notice the second question that Paul asks here. Uh, you can see it there in verse 33. Uh, verse 33, he asks, uh, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Uh, I don't know whether you notice, but this passage has the feel of a, a courtroom drama. Uh, you know, the idea of bringing charges, the idea of justifying, the idea of being condemned, the idea of interceding, the idea of someone being for us. It's a bit like a, a, a defence lawyer acting on our behalf, isn't it? Uh, Paul has brought us into the heavenly courtroom where every single one of us will one day have to give an account to God for the way that we have lived our lives. And Paul's question is, who can bring a charge against believers who are the elect or the chosen of God? Well, I don't know about you, but I can think of many who can bring a charge against me before God. You know, people who know what I am really like and the shameful things that I have done in my life can bring a charge against me. And my very own conscience that knows how much I have wronged God and wronged others in my life, even though no one else might know of these things, can bring a charge against me to God. Satan himself, who is described in the Bible as the great accuser of God's people, can bring a charge. You see, there is no shortage of people who can bring a charge against us before God because, well, I am a sinner. 
or one who has ignored and rejected my maker in the way that I have lived? And yet the implied answer to this question is no one. No one can bring a charge against God's elect before God. Why? Well, you can see the answer there in verse 33. It's because it is God who justifies. In other words, it is God who declares us not guilty. Now, that's what it means to be justified, isn't it? It's to be given the verdict of not guilty ahead of time before we face God as our judge in the end time. You see, this is why the Christian message is such extraordinarily good news, isn't it? Every other religion lays on the burden of having to justify yourself to some deity and having to prove that you are good enough and upright enough and righteous enough. But God says to the sinner who has put his or her trust in his son, I justify you. In my eyes, it's just as if you have never sinned. It's just as if you have lived a righteous life. But is this court proceeding a bit of a sham? You know, the reality is that I am a sinner by nature. Huey Shin is someone who has lived his life rejecting God and his ways, thinking that he knows better than God about how to live his life. And yet here is God giving me the verdict of not guilty before him simply by trusting his son. Uh, it can kind of feel a bit like one of those sham mafia trials in The Godfather. I've been watching a lot of uh, TV lately. But you know, you know what happens in those mafia trials? Uh, the mafia boss is as guilty as anything. But before the trial, you see all these you know, brown paper packages being secretly passed to the lawyers and the juror, the jurors rather. Uh, or even to the judge, to pay them off. And what do you know? The verdict comes back as not guilty. Until, of course, the law catches up with them and they are condemned as they should be. Is that what is happening here? Is it all a sham? Will I indeed be condemned in the end for my guilt before God? Well, that's the question Paul raises in verse 34, where he asks, who is to condemn? Now you can see it there on your screen. Who is to condemn in verse 34? And again, the implied answer is no one. No one can condemn you if you belong to Jesus. Why? Well, you see the extraordinary answer there in the rest of verse 34. It is because Jesus Christ is the one who has died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin that you and I deserved for our sin and rebellion against God so that God's rightful anger and wrath might be turned away from me. But more than that, it is because Christ Jesus was raised from the dead to show that his work of justification was effective in dealing with my sin 
and giving me life, an eternal life with Christ. And in addition, it is because we are told Jesus is at God's right hand, interceding for us. And this is an extraordinary verse, don't you think? I mean, we uh, Christians often rightly think about what Jesus has done for us in the past by dying and rising again from the dead, because this is the finished work of Christ and is at the heart of the Christian faith. But uh, we may not think too much about what Jesus is doing right now. Uh, what is the risen and ascended Jesus doing right now? Well, we are told here that he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's saying to God, you cannot condemn them, Father, because look at my hands and my feet and my side. I have died for them. You see, friends, your eternal security and my eternal security is guaranteed and rock solid in the death and resurrection and intercession of Jesus for us. You can't get any more secure than that. Well, in the final section of our passage this morning, I want you to see that the language changes from that of a courtroom to that of a family. Uh, it's a reminder that God's plan to justify us and give us all things comes from God, who is not only a righteous judge, but also a loving father. And so if you are someone who trusts in Jesus, Paul says that God's love is inseparable from you. Uh, you can see this in the final question that Paul asks in verse 35. Uh, verse 35, he asks, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or uh, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, you see, what Paul says here shows us that he lived in a world of suffering. In fact, the Apostle Paul suffered more than most, uh, not only in the normal suffering of this world, but the persecution he faced for proclaiming the name of Jesus. Uh, it's no different today, is it? Uh, we still live in a world of suffering, not only as a result of coronavirus, but through other sicknesses and natural disasters and death, as well as the persecution of those who proclaim Jesus as Lord. But this raises a question for us, doesn't it, when we go through suffering? For we might ask ourselves, well, why is this suffering happen to, happening to me if God is for me and loves me? Does suffering mean that God has actually withdrawn his love from me? That's why Paul quotes in verse 36 from Psalm 44, which we had read out earlier. It's a psalm about God's people in the Old Testament who trusted in him and yet were finding that they were suffering and dying and being persecuted, possibly in the period 
period of the exile. They were being treated as sheep to the slaughter, says Paul. And yet Paul is emphatic, emphatic here, isn't he? He says, no, uh, suffering does not mean that God has withdrawn his love from you. Rather, the life of a believer is about knowing God's love in suffering rather than the avoidance of all suffering. Uh, he says in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, it is impossible to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and not suffer. Just as Jesus suffered before entering into glory, those who are united with him will suffer with him before entering glory on that last day. And you see, friends, that's why the prosperity gospel is so wrong, isn't it? You know, the prosperity gospel uh, says that if you trust in Jesus, then God will remove uh, all suffering from your life. You'll be healthy and wealthy and prosperous in all that you do now. Uh, whether it's in the outrageous form of uh, Kenneth Copeland, uh, a US minister who recently claimed to have blown the coronavirus away in the name of Jesus, or whether it's in the more subtle teaching of some of Australia's big churches that say, you know, it is God's will for you to be healthy now so that you can be a blessing to others, or whether it is the voice in your heart that wonders whether God really loves you as you go through periods of suffering. It is simply not what God says. The life of the believer is not devoid of suffering. We are like sheep to the slaughter, says Paul. But here's the thing. Notice that Paul says in verse 37 that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, literally, the word is hyper-conqueror or super-conqueror. Now, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, here's what I think. Uh, if you are a conqueror on the battlefield, then you are somebody who defeats your enemy and then leaves him for dead in the field. But if you are more than a conqueror, then you are somebody who defeats your enemy and then takes him home to be your slave, to serve you. Now, that's what Paul is talking about here, I think. If you are a believer, then you are more than a conqueror because even though suffering is your enemy, in Christ Jesus, it serves you. Now, you see, this is the uniquely Christian view of suffering, isn't it? Suffering is not an illusion. We are not Buddhists. Our suffering is not karma. We are not Hindus. Suffering is not enjoyable. We are not masochists. But suffering is our servant that shapes us more and more like Jesus and makes us long for glory as we are secure in the knowledge that not even the worst suffering will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know, suffering for the Christian is a bit like, uh, you know, those rumble strips that you have on the highway 
uh, when you hit those rumble strips, it, it kind of focuses your mind on the road ahead, doesn't it? Uh, that's what suffering does for the Christian. Uh, it focuses your mind on the things of God and on the glories to come. In the midst of sufferings and anxieties and fears we go through in this life, God says, you are more than a conqueror. Uh, what will it look like to be so secure in God's love for us that we are more than conquerors? Well, I think it will mean living confidently in this world as God's people. Uh, it will mean whenever we recognize sin in our lives, we boldly confess our sins to God and turn back to him, confident that in Christ Jesus we are loved and we will be forgiven without condemnation. It will mean boldly loving others rather than seeking just our own interests, like those who are insecure, because we are confident that in Christ Jesus we are loved by God and that we possess all things. Uh, I was very moved recently when I, when I heard the story of Eam. Uh, have you uh, heard this story before? Uh, Eam uh, was a small village uh, in England. And you, you see a, a postcard there uh, from present day Eam. But uh, Eam was a small village in England which was hit by a bad plague in 1665. Uh, it was caused by uh, plague-carrying fleas. Uh, within a few months, over 10% of the population had died and most of the villagers prepared to leave the, uh, the village to go to neighbouring villages in order to preserve their own lives. Uh, but do you know what happened? Well, the Christian minister of the village managed to convince the entire village to stay put in the village and to self-isolate so that the rest of England would not be exposed to the plague. And so being Christians, that's what they did. They stayed in the village and most of the people in the village died in order to save others. They self-isolated not to live, but to die for the sake of others. It's an astonishing story, isn't it? But those who are secure in God's eternal love are the ones who can love others in ways that bring life to others. In this case, physically, but supremely, as we speak of God's love in Christ Jesus, in the hope that others, too, will come to know that life and that hope. And so in conclusion, it is, in, it is very appropriate, don't you think, that the Apostle Paul concludes this passage by almost singing the last verses when he says in verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing in all of life, nothing in the spiritual realm, nothing that has happened in time, nothing in space, not the coronavirus, not unemployment, 
not difficult circumstances, not even our own sin can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, brothers and sisters, um, I want you to see this morning that if you are somebody who trusts in the death and resurrection of Jesus for you, then you are inseparable from God's love. Uh, he has you securely in his hand and he has promised to never let you go. Uh, will you rejoice with me in the secure love of God in Christ Jesus this morning, which has been shown so clearly to us in the death and resurrection and intercession of Jesus on our behalf? Uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who died and rose again and is now interceding for us at your right hand in heaven. I thank you that because of him, we can now stand justified, declared right before you and have the certain and secure hope of glory in heaven. I thank you that we can celebrate these things today. Father, we pray that knowing your great love for us will lead us to living confidently in this world. Help us to boldly keep turning away from sin in our lives as we hear your word, confident in the knowledge that you love us and will forgive us of our sins for Jesus' sake. Help us also to boldly love others, not only in meeting people's physical needs, but especially in pointing people to Jesus, in whom is the hope of eternal glory. Now, Father, we pray especially this morning for those who may be suffering among us, are suffering loss or are fearful or anxious in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. We ask that you would comfort them and provide for them and help them in many and varied ways. But most of all, we pray for them and for all of us that we might lift our eyes to you during this time and know that your promise that nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love shown in the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Lord, might be firmly in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.